When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, filthy animals? It is episode 55 of Blockbuster Mentality, the show where we dig deep into the world of cinema. I'm your host, Ben Secord. With me once again is Mr. Davo. Hey, Ben. Great to be here. I'm very excited to talk about this movie tonight. Me too, my friend. I am super excited to talk about this Woody Allen instant classic. We are going to dig deep into Midnight in Paris, the 2011 flick. Uh, that won uh, Best Screenplay, Best Original Screenplay. Woody Allen won for it. And we're going to talk about uh, the themes of it, uh, dig deep into the movie, go kind of scene by scene, and and just uh, have a fun conversation about it. So sit back, relax, let's talk some movies. Um, and uh, real quick before we get into that, I understand you saw uh, Alien Covenant? I did. And I remember you asked me a couple weeks ago, uh, if I was going to, and I was a little apprehensive because I told you that the alien scares the crap out of me. <laughs> yes. It just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but what I didn't know is I thought it, I knew there was a connection to Prometheus, but I didn't realize it's actually pretty much a direct sequel, um, So, which I enjoyed. I thought Prometheus was underrated, um, and I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away uh, spoiler-wise because it's still out in the theaters, but I, I, loved, I liked it a lot. It checked a lot of boxes for me because it's sci-fi, it's horror, and uh, there's some deeper stuff going on there um, about sort of um, how does uh, it's if you remember from Prometheus where they're sort of the origin story for humanity with the the engineers yep okay so it sort of goes further with that with the relationship between a creator and a created and how that all works it's I don't want to give any more away than that but I really like this movie so you should definitely go see it good you think it'll enhance uh, enhance the Prometheus viewing experience like revisiting it or yeah, absolutely. I want to go back and see yeah. Prometheus like right away, and then when this thing comes out on Blu-ray, and we were talking earlier, we need to do a show on yeah. on both, or, or at least you know one or the other. Yeah, that'd be sure. fun. Do one or the other, or even revisit the original Alien and do that. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that that would be a lot of fun. I definitely am looking forward to checking that out. Um, but uh, but yeah, Midnight in Paris. Where that's uh, like I said, the film we're going to dig deep into tonight. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and pause it. Go watch it, come back an hour and a half later, and push play on your podcast app. Before I begin, make sure uh, you subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Give us a a review on iTunes and rate us, and that would help us tremendously. You guys have been very supportive. We appreciate that. I hope you like how this show has been going the last few weeks. We kind of revamped a little, uh, so I appreciate you guys, uh, your feedback on the shows. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get into it. You ready, my friend? Let's do it. Let's do it. So Midnight in Paris. How, how, I mean, how did, you, how did you discover it? Did you see it in a theater? Did I did, you, yeah. yeah. I think this is, might have been my fifth or sixth viewing. Really? Yeah, I saw it in a the theater, and then I think it ran on HBO and one of those ends up a you know movie that's playing all the time. Yep. So I would I caught it a few times and then bits and pieces and then I hadn't seen it probably in a couple of years before this week. So but this is one of my favorite movies and uh definitely one of my favorite Woody Allen movies and certainly this I think uh 
This is the his best. He hasn't had a better one since this. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it uh, after it came out on you know digital release. Uh, my wife is a big fan of Paris. Uh, it's her dream vacation, which hopefully I'll be able to fulfill that Same dream with my someday. Wife. Yeah, <laughs> that's like um, in the DNA to yeah, go to Paris. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so uh, I mean, I like Woody Allen, so I wasn't you know apprehensive about seeing it. I was I was happy to see it, and I, I was so surprised at how much I liked it. Um, Same here, and I think a lot of that has to do with the casting in this movie. Uh, I think yeah. Owen Wilson is just an outstanding pick for for being this kind of lead for because it's it's not the typical sort of neurotic um, main character or, right. or even if it's supposed to be Owen Wilson just has that likability and smoothness where he just kind of can paper it over uh so very yeah. very well done by him and and while he you know is different than Woody Allen uh he he delivers his lines differently I, you can tell Woody Allen wrote, wrote this character oh for sure um I could I could see like if this movie came out in the 70s 80s I could see Owen Wilson playing this character um you know obviously he's a little different but you know he's just kind of not an outsider but just you know he's he's antisocial doesn't want to uh, I don't know. Don't want to say conform, but yeah, but, but he has. A, he does have a likability. Yeah, likability. Yeah. Even though he's he does his own thing, and and like you said, he's a little bit antisocial. You still don't. You're not annoyed by him. And I think some of the Woody Allen, played by him or um, by Jesse Eisenberg, yeah, <laughs> they can just come off as abrasive and just irritating. Right. Owen Wilson, you can't. It's you can't hate him. You yeah. Know, no matter what, even if he's just being kind of wacky, it's like ah, it's just whatever. He's fine. Yeah. Definitely, and it's it's definitely one of my favorite Owen Wilson performances. I mean, he's typically in comedies, not really. I mean, this this is more of a dramedy. Yeah. Uh, definitely a lot of comedic elements, which is typical with a uh, Woody Allen movie. Usually, he doesn't get too dark or anything. No. Um, uh, and also uh, it stars Rachel McAdams as uh, Owen Wilson, who plays Gil's fiance. Uh, Rachel McAdams plays Inez. It also stars Kathy Bates as Gertrude Stein. Uh, and Michael Sheen as Paul, which we'll get into his douchey yeah. character. Um, well done by Michael Sheen. And yep. I think I, I, I remember him <laughs> being comically bad in the Twilight movies. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, one of the Volturi or something like that. Uh, he was good in, uh, he was in Frost Nixon, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen Masters of Sex, so I can't comment on that. Yeah, I haven't um, seen that. But just a, he has a really good performance in this movie. It's worth pointing out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his character is terrible, but I mean, that's yeah. good performance well done by to him, yeah. play that kind of character. But yeah, Frost Nixon was great. Um, he, I'm looking at his uh, movie history. He was in Nocturnal Animals. Did you see that? I did not. Okay, I saw it. I, I just for some reason I can't picture him in that at all. Um, like I, I don't remember him being in that. But, uh, but yeah, good, good casting there. Um, and um, Corey Stoll, I think, was great casting for Ernest Hemingway, which we're going to get into. So uh, to not confuse you this movie takes place in modern time but the synopsis uh, for the film on imdb reads while on a trip to paris with his fiance's family a nostalgic screenwriter finds himself mysteriously going back to the 1920s every day at midnight it's a fantasy movie yeah right? it is it is and it's a, it's a fun fantasy movie it's very <laughs> it it's very lighthearted, um which is is great it's 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 an easy watch um and it's just it's 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 fun. Yeah, it has like the dense Woody Allen dialogue right. that you you expect. 
but you don't need all of it. And like you said, this, it's very, it is lighthearted. It's fun. There's a lot of just, you know, little moments that are funny Yeah, and it's, it's really good. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that basically what might as well jump into it. Cause one of the yeah. things that, uh, you know how the movie starts off really sets the tone for the movie woody allen seems to always do this he starts the movie off with uh backdrops of whatever city he's filming mm-hmm. in usually um and i love the score there the music that's playing yeah it's like a, like a clarinet thing yeah on. and i hear some like trumpet a little bit in there yeah. and, and some brass instruments um but yeah it's just it's showing different shots of paris different shots of paris modern day paris they're showing um, which yeah. is just a beautiful way to start the movie. All the famous, you know, places in Paris. Yeah. And he goes through the different times of day. Uh, I believe it starts in the afternoon, and then later it's raining, and then it shows it at night. So it sort of cycles through. Yeah. You're seeing the beauty of the city, and the mu- it gets you completely in the mood for the movie. Right, exactly. Like what I, I think it like sets and it helps you. It sets the atmosphere for the film, yeah. so you know, you know, the backdrop of the film. You know where it's at, and you, yeah, like I said, it, it gets you ready for this movie, and it's just. It's, just a good piece of uh, cinematography, and just it's just fun to watch just that sequence if you just want to flick on the movie real quick. Yeah, because the city itself is—I don't want to go so far as to say it's a character, but it's a very integral yeah. part of the movie. There's a there's a magic about the city that Woody Allen's trying to tell you uh, that his characters all share. So most of them. <laughs> yep. And uh, so yeah, it starts with that, which I I love. Like I said, it sets the atmosphere for the whole uh, whole film, uh, and then we jump into. Uh, some voiceover while the credits then are playing uh some voiceover with owen wilson and gives you some uh, exposition a little basically you find out he's a screenwriter um and how he wants to move to paris he found out his wife would never want to leave the u.s um and uh you know he keeps going into how he's uh always wants to live in paris and i think he might mention at a certain time, I think he might mention the 1920s here. Um, yeah, he's like, "Wouldn't this be great if we could be here in the 1920s?" Yeah. And he, this is where he's telling you, "This is what I, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be." And I don't know if he says it now, but you find out either here or a little bit later that he's a he's a TV Hollywood writer. Yeah, he's successful, but he's clearly not happy with his life. Right, and he basically came here. He, you know, he's he's sick of writing these uh, screenplays. Um, I forget exactly how he words it, but basically he's here. He wants to start writing novels. Yep. Uh, he wants to write novels. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, we get, get an idea of who, who, who he is, who she is. Yeah. And um, she says, I believe she says directly, you're in love with a yeah. fantasy. Uh, so yep. you, you know where these two characters stand before you even see them. Right. <laughs> you're in love with a fantasy. And that, that kind of is the theme of the movie in a way. So, I mean, like I said, it, it's totally perfect scene to start. Um, like I said, it starts with a voiceover, then it ends the credits and you see them in their hotel room talking about this. Um, she says, you're in love with the fantasy. And then he says, I'm in love with you, which is kind of, I guess, foreshadowing a little, I mean, is she a fantasy? Was he just kind of her fantasy? But um, maybe, you know, it's not, he, he says it with not great conviction or it's just, <laughs> <laughs> right, would make her be quiet because I'm sure that they've had many of these conversations. I could imagine these two characters talking, and he's sort of the dreamer, and she's, you know, more I guess not realistic as maybe, but just more grounded, I guess. Right. I mean, he's talking about living, you know, decades earlier in a place that she has no interest in. So they're they're disconnected there, and I think he's just trying to like, no, 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 I, I love you, you know, let's just reel it back in. He's trying to, you know, paper over whatever issues they may have and just sort of you know bandage over it, whatever, move on. Right. Right. Um. And then, you know, you meet your, her parents a little who, you know, seem like <laughs> yeah. just total, 
just total California snobs uh, and totally uncultured. They're already complaining about the uh, the city a little bit. Yeah, they're wealthy, Paris. but yeah. but you, you can tell they, there's a conflict already between Gil and her parents. They're sort of like uh, wealthy Republicans that uh, don't want to leave the United States. They're not interested in anything outside of you know what they do. Whereas he's like almost the polar opposite. He's like, forget you people. This yeah. is, I think, uh, he's, yeah. They're, they're, there's a, there's, they're talking about the Iraq War or something like that. And even more than that, you could almost tell Woody Allen do, does not like these type of people. So right. he's putting them on screen to sort of like mock them in a way. Uh, that was coming through very strong to me. Yeah, and that's in the, what Owen Wilson says to the the father about, uh, um, be something about being a deluded lunatic or something or uh, basically talking about the right wing and and all that so you could totally see woody allen thinking that that's why he wrote owen wilson that's why i think owen wilson definitely plays like a, a version of woody allen yeah yeah. I mean, yeah he says that and he's like yeah yeah he, he basically insults them and he's like but we respect each other's opinion yeah. right <laughs> and, then she, and then it cuts to her parents just staring at him like you son of a yeah. <laughs> so, like, you're right though that was a totally woody allen line but delivered by a likable guy yeah you know? that's like the right. charming bit about it which i just that i never got over that throughout the whole movie <laughs> And then, so yeah, that's at a restaurant, and then somehow they meet this Paul guy who they know from California. They run into him in that restaurant. They talk about hanging out, um, and uh, you know, you could tell Owen Wilson's already trying to get out of it. They get back to the hotel. Yeah, but there's a bit there where they she she knows him. We find out she had known him, but she already uh, he come. They show up him and his wife, and she gives him a little touch on his arm, and it was subtle. And it's like eh, your yeah. girl shouldn't be touching a guy in his arm. Yeah, it was very clear. With something weird that's just not right definitely something going on there um and then uh and a lot of this is just all woody allen long shots which i want to get into like he, he he's the kind of guy like he pumps out a movie every single year so i mean he he gets through these movies very quickly and a part of that is he does so many things in one take um, which I think is great. I think it's it, it sets up more of a natural feel. Um, you get, yeah, all the conversations are so natural. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah, because like, you're not cutting back and forth. You just let the actors go. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a play in that way. Like yeah. I think he's just filming a play, which I think is great. It's almost it's kind of an orthodox because you got like four people in the shot. Some yeah. people are like turn their backs are turned, and that's like a no no in film. Like you you always want to see you know or, or no no in in plays anyways. Um, but it gives a sense of realism because I think there's yeah. one scene later on in the movie where the four the two um gil inez and paul and his uh his wife i can't remember her name but they're they're about to go do something the four of them are talking and then in the background there's like a car like screeching or honking a horn or something and i think it just it just happens to be an accidental noise and two, right. two of the char- characters look back at it and they go back this is like what you would see in real life yeah you know? this isn't a highly scripted event this is just four people just interacting like very naturally right yeah and i just love that and there's, there's different instances you know he he uses that technique just long shot because he's he's like a i heard he's like more of like a just a nine to five type of dick guy he wants to go home watch the ball game you know after the Sounds after good they're done filming like <laughs> like he's, he's is just, he yeah. still shooting film i don't know if he's one of those actors i i probably 
But it seems I like can't. Woody Allen would be the guy who wouldn't want to go digital. Yeah, but. he's like, no. He I, he still <laughs> writes his scripts on a typewriter. The I same typewriter that. he's been using, I think, since the 70s. That's maybe. like George R. Mar- George R. R. Martin writing out of his like 1980s word processor right. that he refuses <laughs> to upgrade on, which just is insane. It's, but, but hey, to each if, their own, if right? it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they get to the hotel room, and Owen Wilson's like, we're not really hanging out with them, are we? And you know, you can see he's antisocial. He Call- calls Paul a pseudo-intellectual. Yep. And then she's like, like you know, he, how could you call him that? And then she says, maybe he should critique your writing, you know, because this book that you, you're not satisfied about. So she's completely undermining him. Right. I yeah. found I found some of these things very irritating this this yeah. time around. No, yeah, she's she's undermining him. You get a sense of her character more there, yeah, and just how she treats him, and it's just the, this she's very superficial, and um, yeah, that their her whole family is just terrible yeah i think maybe we can talk about her just a little bit i, I do think that her her essence is is about appearances um, yeah her, her family's very wealthy right they talk at one point about buying this eighteen thousand dollar chair <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> it's like yeah well maybe maybe a car yeah <laughs> i can understand not a chair uh but yeah it, so she's all about appearances and wealth and that's the thing about paul is he's a highly credentialed man uh and he can you know talk and bloviate about god knows what forever uh, but so something like Gil, where he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have all these degrees or whatever, but he has real insight on things, and he's, right. he's, she's not appreciating him. Other than the fact that I'm pretty sure, you know, because at some point you're like, why is she with him? And beyond the fact that he's sort of likable and he has money because yeah. he works in Hollywood, I can't see another good reason. Can you? No, no. Um, and, and to speak on that more, speak on his character more. It seems like he's more into. He's not actually like when they get to when he's showing them different art pieces and he's telling them all this information he knows about it. Like <laughs> it, it's it doesn't seem like he actually appreciates the art like Gil does. Owen Wilson's character, um, Gil. Uh, Paul doesn't appreciate the art, but having knowledge about it is is enough for him. Yeah. You know, it will impress people. Like she said, a pseudo intellectual. Like it's all just stuff he's read and you know come from books. Like it doesn't seem like he's passionate about it. He's just, oh well, I know this, so I'm better than you. Yeah, the movie makes a big distinction and a contrast between the things that you can read about um, versus actually experiencing them. And I also wonder, like, to the extent if you know if Woody Allen's sort of saying. If you haven't experienced these things, maybe you can't really know them completely. Right. You know, I think that's what he's kind of saying there. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, because you're, you're reading someone else's writing about something. It's like you know, third, fourth, fifth hand your knowledge, and then this character Paul, who we'll you know we'll talk more about because he's such a douche. <laughs> he really is. I mean, this is the guy. I had this feeling when I was watching that he just the guy never goes away. It's like when you turn your head to the right, he's there to tell you that, you know, the beer you're drinking is really sucks and he's got the best one. Or, right. And he'll tell you, you know, 50,000 reasons why. And it may be just because he memorized some facts and he really know, doesn't know what he's right. talking yeah. about. Or like he's, he never, yeah. he's not like passionate about it. He's not, a, you know, he doesn't, you know, share the emotion in it like certain yeah. artists do. Like you can tell Gil's like a real artist. Like he wants to feel things. He wants to experience things. Yeah, it's almost like the difference between, uh, and you play guitar and I do as well, you know, people that when they play you can feel their passion right. versus someone who's technically proficient but doesn't have that that extra thing it's almost indefinable but There's you like, know it when you hear it 
There's like no soul. In yeah. It. Like yeah. there's no, yeah, I, 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 I like that analogy. That's good. Um, but yeah, but like you said, Paul just keeps, keeps popping up. I think, uh, one of the next shots is him kind of being their tour guide. He takes it upon himself They're to Versailles be a tour here. guide at the Versailles. Yeah. Yep. And this is, um, uh, one of my favorite shots of the movie, even though it's just douchebag Paul the whole time, but it's just a beautiful backdrop of where they are there. You see the gardens and it's all just one shot. You know, it's, him talking about it and you can notice you know the uhs and the ums from yep. him which again it's natural i mean people talk like that they're gonna say uhs and ums and a lot of movies they they don't have that i mean they can be realistic performances but you don't hear many ums and ahs in movies um no they don't want they want that cut out or yeah shot or right take, take another take yeah right so i think that that's it's a cool way of doing it but it's basically just them panning uh, panning over this this garden while he's talking, all it's four beautiful. of them are in shot. Absolutely beautiful. He's talking to them about the history of where they are, and then it goes around, and you see the building that was uh, that's behind. You know that the, the palace, camera, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah, it's where the camera originally had its back to, and they 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 wrap around, and he's still talking. They start talking about Gill's novel um, <laughs> again with the novel. <laughs> yep, again with the novel, and then uh, Rachel McAdams, she's the one that brings it up and she says hey tell him about you know the main character he's like i don't want to talk about my work um i don't know if he's is he embarrassed by it you think or yeah i think to an extent he feels slightly inadequate um because he's he is a writer but he's unable to write something that he really wants to do something that he feels has you know real meaning and depth and he's just not able to finish it and put it all together in a way that he wants uh, and of course, he's you know talking to the most obnoxious snob there is. So he doesn't want this jerk to go anywhere near something that's yeah. very personal to him. And then when she, when speaking of yeah, when <laughs> when she uh, Rachel McAdams brings out you know what his main character is, he's a he's an he owns a nostalgia shop, yeah. and he's just like kind of scoffs at that and just like oh those are the people that sell the the Shirley Temple dolls and yeah, the old him. radios, like who would buy that? Um, and then he, but he actually brings up valid points. Um, in yeah. this scene. No matter how much of a douche he is, douche he is, um, he does bring up uh, some cool lines here. Basically saying how nostalgia is denial of the painful present, um, which is kind of quite a deep line. Because um, uh, you know people live in the past. They they look back on it, thinking they romanticize it, thinking like that. If I, only I were back there. You know that then then things would have been better. I would have been fine. Yeah, he calls which... it the fallacy of golden age thinking. Yeah, golden age thinking. And you know it's 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 a tough pill to swallow, uh, coming from him. But this is actually you know one of the larger truths of the whole movie. He's dropping right there, which you later find out. Yeah, and it's coming from this guy. And he, of course, Gil doesn't. Of course, you know Gil's going to ignore it. Well, he, he's in denial. He's clearly in denial. Right. And we don't know why that uh, when when Paul says this, why this is true. I don't think it's it's not obvious. No. It's an interesting thing to hear, but mm-hmm. you don't know why that, that that it's true. And we find out that it, this is actually kind of it. You know, yeah. Gil's in denial. Absolutely, he's in denial. It says, because uh, uh, Rachel McAdams brings up how Gil's a, a romantic. Um, and he says how, you know, that golden age thinking is a flaw in the romantic Im- uh, imagination of people who can't cope with the present. Right. So, And we find out later that this is pretty much true. So, yeah, then we get to and then they're on another tour uh, after Rachel McAdams and her mom were talking about something. And real quick, uh, Woody Allen shoots their conversation as they're walking down the street from behind, which is, again, un- unorthodox. You don't do that. You, usually it's. 
you're, you're the camera is facing them while they're talking. It is a bit strange. Yeah. yeah, it's strange. I uh, just wanted to bring that up just with Woody Allen's techniques. I just like how he's unorthodox. And then you get to Paul giving them another tour about something. He he brings up something about a sculpture, yeah. I think. Yeah, Rodan. I don't know. The, I don't. I forget the detail. Uh, and then he, he, and they're because they're actually with a tour guide, right. and Sheen keeps like interrupting. Sheen is the actor Paul. Paul, yeah, she, the uh, the guide is trying to actually do her job and <laughs> tell the people, you right. know, that she's you know guiding what what this thing is about and what the sculptor was doing and what it means and blah blah blah. So Paul, being Paul, has to then say, well, you know, actually it's blah whatever it was, and then there's a conflict there. <laughs> And then Gil jumps in. He's like, "Well, you know, I'm just gonna have to say uh, <laughs> he knows nothing." Yeah, clearly. like he's he's siding with the, the <laughs> real tour with, guide. Yeah. He's like, yeah. "No, actually, I did read this uh, biography on this person, and and actually, uh, you're, she's right. It was his <laughs> mistress." And then yeah. as Rachel McAdams is looking at him, like, "You're so full of yeah. garbage." Well, I think she says, "You read a you read a biography on uh, this person?" He said, "Why the hell would I read a biography on them?" <laughs> it's so great. I love that. Love that scene. Funny it's just, about it. just the yeah comedy elements elements of this movie again this is a light-hearted movie it's nothing you know too deep but it's, it's got cool cool quotes cool themes it's just a real fun yeah it's nice because you know the you as the viewer are thoroughly annoyed by paul so it's it's just great it's a great little just like crowd pleaser I think, yeah to just see a character put you know yeah <laughs> this other guy down you know and, and just to humiliate him just a little bit right you're so annoyed with him like somebody do something and then gil steps up and does it so thank you yeah shut this guy up please i love it yeah and that's just part of uh owen wilson's comedy too which uh, i i'm a real fan of owen wilson I me think too he's great um and then another just beautiful shot they're on a rooftop tasting wines and stuff just a beautiful shot of this like almost it's like sunset time yeah of the, the twilight with, yeah twilight with the backdrop of paris behind them while they're tasting wine. you see the eiffel tower eiffel tower it's just beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah, Love and, there, that and, shot. and just for a second you know her parents are talking about uh you know i'd, I'd always take a napa valley yeah wine or something. <laughs> so it's just like just shut up and, yeah. and then gills i guess he's, he's had a few or something and they're talking about him and as and she's getting annoyed with him she's like why are your cheeks red and, you know why are it's like lady we're just having fun here so and then of course paul's there with a comment about yeah. you know this red is yeah you know you, you want to sip it with i don't know even know what what i can't even do it because it's not me at all you know but, right he's swirling the glass of course <laughs> yeah. and uh, I was like i like this one but it, the vintage of you know 1965 was actually far better <laughs> it's like shut up yeah again it's played beautifully by sheen like it's he's playing what was written and i think that's great acting it's just yeah <laughs> the character is just such a douchebag tool yeah Sheen deserves credit for the oh, performance absolutely 100%. yeah and then so yeah, the rooftop. They 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 you know get off the rooftop. Uh, Paul offers for them to go dancing, and Gil's like, "No, I want to get fresh air. Let's go." And then Rachel McAdams is like, "Well, I can go dancing." Yeah. Just kind of shows her character there, like, "Oh, whatever. My husband doesn't want to go. I'm gonna have fun." He lets her go with this couple. Yeah, he does. That's his choice. Yep, he, it's his choice. Um, which actually probably wasn't his choice. She was gonna go regardless, but, <laughs> um. Well, yeah, okay. So yeah, he goes through. Th- th- uh, he goes for a walk uh, in Paris with some uh, some music again. Great, like again, I love this. Me, the score. Yeah, the score is. Great. I don't know it's if it's original tr- score, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, um, I think uh, the opening, uh, the opening music 
is a is a pop not a popular I don't know right, popular it's but just, it's a known song okay uh, done for Woody Allen uh, and I think all this music I think is as other it's, it's been redone with the soundtrack yep and then so yeah he's walking around he's kind of lost so he decides just you know take a break and just sit on the stairs he's um, definitely lost yeah definitely lost he's but still, enjoying being lost yeah yeah he's just he wanted to walk around paris wanted to get some fresh air you know that's that's what he's there for he wants to get the culture of the city you know feel the character of the city and uh <laughs> he asked this french couple for directions yeah <laughs> it's just so funny because yeah. you just you hear them and they're just like well blah, 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 go wow. away stupid <laughs> america <laughs> yeah, i love it and then you hear the uh, the bell ringing, which is obviously a clock. Um, we don't specifically know what time it is. I don't think it's midnight. You'll find that out. <laughs> it's it's midnight. Um, and then this uh, old time car pulls up and is like, "Hey, come on, come for a ride with us." <laughs> yeah, like, there's a party going on in this like <laughs> right. old car. <laughs> this guy steps out with his glass, and they're like, "Come on, come on." He's like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "Come on, let's go." <laughs> He's like. Uh, okay yeah. <laughs> he decides to go with them it's like okay and then he gets to this uh this party uh it seems like they're you know dressed up for the party you know kind of like a flapper party yeah a flapper party it's like a 1920s party that people might throw i guess then and then he sees cole porter playing yeah cole porter the piano Let's fall in love. Even a clams and oyster bay, do it. <laughs> I, I like that song. It fits this movie. Like it's, it's. It, I, I really like that. So uh, Gil is stupefied here. He yeah. walks in. He's, he's like, like oh, "Wait yeah. a minute! I know that guy." Right. It's like, what's <laughs> what's going on here? Um, I mean, he still doesn't know what's up. And then he runs with this uh, lady named Zelda. This little firecracker. Yeah, little firecrackers. Cr- firecracker Zelda, and she said, "I want you to meet my husband." Introduces Scott. Scott Fitzgerald, who's played by Tom Middleson. Yeah. Um, and Gil's, you know, he's a little confused at first. He's like, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's going on? So your names are. So the, oh, so the Fitzgerald. So your, yeah. so your names are just like, and he's. Yeah. He's not still, still, still doesn't know what's going on. Um, you know, they, they have a little conversation. Um, and then they. He's get, trying to explain that he doesn't know where he is or, or, or showing that they're taking his, uh, being, completely off his rocker what's going on for him being bored at the party so like you're right you know this is lame let's go to the next party mm-hmm. so they grab him in the car and they they take off yeah and he's he's still not feeling it and actually um i'm not feeling it yet i'm i'm not i'm just like this is interesting but uh i i'm not i mean this time around anyways i want to say the first couple times i saw it i was interested but i i almost think we're we're seeing this in gill's eyes like i i think i was supposed to feel a little thrown off too like just kind of like what's what's going on here um yeah i think i'd agree with that but i think when he gets into the second bar then he's into it and that's when i felt into it because that's when he meets hemingway there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the second yeah. bar. There's dancers, and you see his face, and he's just like struck, and he's and then it turns from disbelief to just a smile. Yeah, he's like, okay, I'm gonna ride this. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but I'm I'm bored. Let's right. just do this thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, did you feel that at all? Did you feel like it was just kind of, hey, okay, what's going on? Yeah, and it's then, confusing because yeah. you're like, okay, that's F. Scott Fitzgerald. And- yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, like you said, fifth, sixth time you've watched it, and um, 
but I'm just going off this time. And I, I think that's meant to be. It's meant to throw us off a little bit at first. And then and then he gets hooked. Like I said, he meets Hemingway at this new party, which I think is great casting, like I said, with Corey Stoll. Outstanding. Yeah, outstanding. Usually when you see him, he doesn't have hair, but he has hair. But just, just <laughs> yeah. the, the... How jealous is he that he played a guy <laughs> with this great head of right. hair? <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to go take that off at uh... the end of the day. <laughs> And this great artist. I'm not saying Corey Stoll's not a great, you know, performer or anything, but uh, he's not Hemingway. He is no Hemingway, that's for sure. Um, but he leaves a big impression on this movie, and he drops real important truth. Absolutely, and and I love his just his monotone delivery. Like some people might find that boring, but I just it's he's got like some sort of uh, power in in his voice, I guess. I don't know if power is what I'm looking for, but there's something captivating when he talks. Like yeah, he just... measures you up, yeah. and he's like he's he cuts through all the BS that's going on. Yeah, between him, uh, between every anyone he interacts with, he just cuts through the BS. Right. He's he's like it's all about being honest and brave and courageous, and that's all that that's like his own focus, his whole focus. Excuse me. No, definitely. Um, and then. So, yeah, I mean, and you find out he writes about things that are true. Uh, I think he says a good book uh, because, you know, it's a good book because it's an honest book. There's nothing uh, noble about dying in the mind unless you die gracefully. Right. Then it's not only noble, it's brave. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) yes. It is like, uh, you know, being courageous is, you know, uh, eliminating your fear of death. Yeah, and and I think that's what, uh, you know, Hemingway is known for is writing about you know things he's actually experienced like not that the the books he's written are true stories it's just he's experienced them he's felt them so he's actually writing you know similar things he's writing what he experienced you know in his characters uh which i think is important to you know really convey you know what just in movie and in uh in in film and in books i think that's important to have experienced things that your characters have experienced in order to write it what's true as he always brings out yeah he fought in a war and he (laughs) stared down the barrel of a gun and he knows uh you know what it's like to be that close to life and death so he just sort of he took that real thing that was his truth and it doesn't get more true than that you know whether you're going to live or die yeah. and apply that to everything yeah and i think that's that's a really powerful statement and it, it kind of applies to like you said it applies to all aspects of your life you know if you don't have courage about what you believe in or what you're going to do then what what are you doing you're being a coward right no that's 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 a, a great point i mean there's more things that he's going to say that uh I I know I want to bring up which I'm sure we'll get. This is to where he later, asked him if that's... you ever made love to a truly great woman, or is that later? Not yet. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Yeah, because that that had some some heavy stuff too. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, he's like, yeah, this is life. You know, life is 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 finding love and being true and honest to what in, in everything that you do. And I, you know, how many of us do that? You know, how many of us do we you know slink back to whatever's going on? And how many of us actually face and resolve any you know these conflicts? It's it's a hard thing to do. Um, right, but when it's presented sort of in that way in in this movie, this is like yes, this is this is a big deal, and it's a really big deal for Gil because he is he or he has been a coward in his life. He hasn't really faced up to the issues, especially you know when, with his relationship, right. with his career, with his place in life. Yeah, he's got money, but other, it's clearly not making him happy. No, so he has not found his truth. And yep. Hemingway kind of just like busts him in the nose. <laughs> this scene, right. 
Yeah, I love that. And he, I love how Hemingway asks him uh, if he's ever boxed, and he's like, Owen Wilson's like, oh, well, I, yeah, no, I haven't just, or, or Owen, Will, yeah, Owen Wilson says that, and just his delivery of that is hilarious. Because he's not a fighter. Um, you know? Yeah, Hemingway wants to fight everybody and just, like, get that, like, thrill yeah, going. Right, he, yeah, he wants to experience life. Like, he, he doesn't want to just sit back and just watch everything. He wants to experience everything. He wants to fight. There's later in the movie where he, he yells, who wants to fight? Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, so just great. Getting punched in the nose for him, he that's real yeah you know, it, it really real. doesn't get yeah. more it's hard to argue with yeah it, really. it's an experience for him it's an experience that he can use later in life i mean he learns from things which i think we struggle nowadays to to do it's just to, to learn actually from traumatic events or just shitty events that we went through that's true um that we live this coddled existence i yeah. was just thinking the exact same it's thing it's like almost like we need to turn it into something like yeah. he's actually doing something with it yeah, i think that's one of the he's almost embracing it he is he wants and he's like he's like not evangelizing but he's telling people this is what you need to you know right. this is, i found truth and you need to find it as well yeah but no, i agree i mean that's one of the problems with with our existence now it's 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 hard to find uh and discover what's real and what's not right and everything's superficial and i think this kind of goes you know the par not parallels but uh the differences between gill and his in-laws you know in 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 his fiance you know they're they're, they're nothing's true they're all superficial no they want to stay insulated in their yeah, bubble they want an eighteen thousand dollar chair they want <laughs> yeah. california wine of course they don't want to experience anything they're very happy where yeah. they are they, they have don't... money it can buy them whatever they want in california yeah. that's easy that's easy life right there i don't want to experience anything they're shoving it out and yeah, yeah in a way i mean i guess they're living their own illusion too right even though it's you know they're wealthy it's almost like they're in denial i guess maybe too yeah um, in a lot of ways they're not yeah. experiencing real life i mean right. so what you've you've got money and you have comfort but you know maybe maybe you need maybe we all need a punch in the face i don't know yeah <laughs> We do. I, I would. I want to punch. Punch me in the face. We right should do now. a punch after everyone. Should, you know, just one punch. One punch. One good. Oh, a week, a month, maybe, yeah. maybe a day. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I want to be like Gil and shriek back and, <laughs> and go away. Yeah. You can... <laughs> no, but there's there's this Hemingway character is is yeah really it's, important. There's gold here. Um, which yeah, I mean we'll 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 talk a little bit more about him later. I definitely want to get into his stuff. Yeah, just one more thing before we move past that scene. Uh, we meet the, the Fitzgeralds sit down at the table with Gil and Hemingway, um, and then Zelda leaves with some guy to go do something. I think dancing. Like, was that, it dancing? That's yeah. what I found parallels with her and Inez. Yeah, and then um, Hemingway kind of calls out F. Scott Fitzgerald on, uh, I guess him and Zelda have a kind of a conflict, something like that. But in yeah. any event, Hemingway calls out, Fitzger uh, Scott Fitzgerald saying, you know, she'll never be as good a writer as you or to think she's envious or whatever. But here's the difference. Whereas uh, earlier, Gil lets Inez go dancing with these other people. Scott Fitzgerald goes out and gets his wife. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a big thing. You know, Gil kind of lets her go. And right. Scott Fitzgerald, despite the, you know, maybe he's in his own denial or whatever, but he's willing to at least go get his woman, you know, and right. not let her go it's off. Because it seems like there's something real there, there whereas with Gil, there's nothing real. Yeah. I thought that was an important contrast. Yeah. And actually, there's something I want to bring up later, how he describes uh, his wife. Um, and then to quickly get through the this, this scene... Uh, uh, I love how uh, Hemingway says no. Uh, he says no subject is terrible if the story is true. 
And then he... Uh, uh, oh, because Gil asked him to read his novel. Yeah, Gil asked him to read his novel. Why not, right? You're talking to Hemingway? Yeah. You, it, <laughs> I don't know if this is it. Hemingway or not, but, but since he's pretending or he appears to be Hemingway, I might as well ask this guy to read my Right. Novel. See, I mean, basically in the film, we're back in time right now. We're in the 20s. What we... You know what? Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of still confused as Gil right now, yeah. but but if this guy is really Hemingway, I'm gonna offer it. Let's roll the dice on this, yeah. right? And I love how Hemingway. It's true. He says, "My opinion is it's bad. Uh, you don't want to have uh, it evaluated by another writer because if it's you know if it's bad, I'll hate it because I hate bad writing, and if it's good, I'll be envious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they had to push the analogy. This is almost like go back to music again. You know, if you hear someone. You know, here's my song, and they play it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is better than anything I could ever write. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I hate this guy. <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. You know, anything that you do that's creative, it's you become – you're guarded of your own stuff. Right. And if you hear something, you'll be jealous or envious or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be unbiased. And then – so basically he says, I'll introduce you to Gertrude Stein. I trust her with all my novels, and that's when uh, – you know, he talks about her. And then we go back to modern time. Um, and that's, I think, when we run into the $18,000 chair. They get out of that shop again, and it starts raining. And Gil's like, let's uh, let's walk in the rain. It's beautiful. It's Paris. There's nothing beautiful. And then uh, Inez says, there's nothing beautiful about walking in the rain. No, he's a romantic. Yeah. And, you know, Paris is, is, he loves Paris. And in the rain, you know, so what? You get wet, you know. I'm right. here, like, for a week. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, and it goes back to, let's experience something. Yeah. Let's the, Inez and her parents, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. Right. They're like, let's get in the car. Let's get out of here. Let's go into my nice posh hotel. I don't want to just walk through the streets. And, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to understand that. You know, I, I definitely side, side with Gil here. You know, oh, who oh, cares yeah. what's happening? Right. I'm in Paris. Right. If it's <laughs> I don't even know an earthquake, not an earthquake, but, you know, something like I'm just I just want to experience it in all ways possible. Right. Uh, yeah, buying an $18,000 chair is not experiencing life, you know? Um, yeah, and that's their big debate. Right. And it, I think that's where she brings up the line, well, cheap is cheap, or, or uh, <laughs> Inez's mother. Um, and then what do we get to? We uh, he, Oh, so then he tries to bring uh, Inez to the spot where the car picked him up, just, you know, because he, you know, was telling her, like, you know, I, you gotta what see if this. I told you? Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just come see. Uh, the, 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 the train or the, the car doesn't come. So she decides to leave. Right. And the then... audience has kind of figured out by now that this occurs at midnight, given the uh, bells and the title of the movie. But, <laughs> but Gil doesn't know this. So they're waiting around and he's, he, he can't say, you know, let's just wait around till midnight. He's just like, I don't know what's happening. All I know is this happened at this corner and I'm just asking to hang out with me and she's got no patience for it. Right. So she gets in a car and she heads out. And then not lo- not much longer later, it doesn't seem like, then we hear the bell again, and it's midnight, and then another car yep. pulls up. Yep. Um, and, then, and it's a Hemingway in the car, and mm-hmm. then it uh, jumps right into him just looking right in the camera and just giving this monotone monologue, which I think is just brilliant. Right. Uh, some of my notes here, it says uh, they love the su- uh, something about loving the sufficient passion to push death out of their minds basically it's basically his whole monologue is just about fearing death and how you need to just and here's where he talks about making have you ever made yeah. love to a truly great woman and right it's like when you're you feel almost immortal right so you you know you sort of transcend your your fear of death by just sort of giving yourself into this woman 
but it has to be a great woman, right? <laughs> you know, in heavy yeah. way, prose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, love that whole line. When the man who is brave and true looks death squarely in the face, like some rhino hunters I know, or Belmonte, who's truly brave, it is because they love with sufficient passion to push death out of their minds until it returns as it does to all men. And then you must make really good love again. Think about it. I love that line. <laughs> yeah, it does make you think about it. Because he asked Gil earlier, do you fear death? And, you know, we all do, of course. Right. And Gil's like, uh, yeah, I fear death. And here's the solution to that. You know, love passionately. Find a great woman. Right. And Gil is maybe the beginning seeds of the idea that maybe... Oh, because he asked in the car, he says, have you ever made love to a truly great woman? And Gil says... I don't know. My my fiance is pretty sexy. <laughs> yes, I wanted to. Pretty <laughs> sexy, and that's not the appropriate response. No, no not at all. This isn't papering over. Yeah. So this is the beginning, I think, of him realizing she is not a truly great woman. And if, if what Heming said, what Hemingway is saying is true, then I'm doing this all wrong. Right. And I, I just I love that whole monologue. That's because beautiful. It's like, it's like once you fear death again. You know, do what you did before to make you not fear death again. Like it's it's you're gonna. It says he even says it happens to all men. You know, once that feeling comes back, yeah. make love to a beautiful woman again. I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily be that, but just basically <laughs> do that. Thing. Whatever you yeah. were doing right, and suddenly it's not, uh, uh, you know, not going right again. Just go back and reevaluate look at what you you know did at the beginning and do it again you yeah. know um, credit to woody allen here for this writing it's almost no, it's a that's... bit of a of a novel yeah. in a way you know the way these characters the stuff that they're saying yeah. it's like because i mean hemingway uh, i don't think that's an actual hemingway quote woody allen wrote this and i can see why this one best screenplay at the yeah. oscars and i believe it was nominated for best picture that year i, I believe think. so yes i, I don't so know what won. this is 2011 i don't know what won it yeah this was 2011 so this was um I, th <laughs> Ugh. I think it was the king's speech oh i never saw that in any nominated. event i mean it, it it deserves some accolades but i mean like i said i mean this you you hear this stuff and this is serious serious lines being dropped this isn't a casual thing i mean i i, I could do well to just I could see this almost a screenplay into a short novella, and I would just read that and, and be kind of blown away by it. And it makes you think, this is sort of what we said, you know, this goes back to the Raging Bull episode. This makes you think about life. This makes you think yeah. about, you know, what's important. How do you, we're, I mean, we're all in this, I'm sure all of us have hit this this wall that Gil's in, and you're in denial about something. Right. You know, and to have these characters drop these bombs on you in a way that's so clear you know, like this Hemingway thing. It's it's brilliant. And then you have this historical character. Uh, it's not just like some guy on the street. I don't know. It's just so well done. Right. You know, and I think we were talking earlier before we started that um, in the 1920s, these people, these famous people actually hung out in Paris. I know. This is, you know, semi-real, you know, and I don't I, and I don't even know, you know, all these writers. Uh, I don't I don't want to pretend to know. I know all these artists and writers. You know, I know Fitzgerald and. Dolly, yeah. Dolly, Dolly. I want. <laughs> kind of want to talk about that. That's <laughs> not, yeah, no. It's funny. What? You're not a fan of? No, I, it's Adrian hilarious. Brody, yeah. I decided. Is it their meaning behind it? You think the whole? The rhinoc you, well, he, he meets Dolly a little later on. And, yeah, but you said the there's the there's the Hemingway line about the rhinoceros, and then D Dolly says, "I see a rhinoceros." 
Oh yeah, uh, so okay. there might be some yeah. kind of connection. Definitely, there. definitely connection. But uh, but yeah, like you said, it's not uh, similar. Well, it right makes now, you think about life. Hold on, he's facing down the rhinoceros, right? Isn't that what he says? And then yeah, some and, rhinoceros hunters. I and know. And then and then Gill's trying to tell the problem to these guys, and all Dali says is just nonsense. But I see a rhinoceros, so maybe uh, that's maybe of... maybe because the rhinoceros hunter is brave. Maybe he sees braveness in Gill. Maybe he sees yeah, the rhinoceros potential is, in him. The rhinoceros. I think maybe the rhinoceros is symbolic of this impending problem, and Gill is the hunter, and he's got to just kill the rhino, which is his denial. Yeah, that's great. I like that because yeah, and randomly lot. he meets uh, Adrian Brody in the movie who plays Dolly, <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's hilarious. I mean, Adrian Brody, say so what you well will done. about him, it's just amazing performance. You're rhinoceros. <laughs> He's just obsessed with rhinoceroses, but obviously he has uh, some hidden meaning behind that. And this just as a Woody Allen fan, I mean, if you would cast all these movies like this, I mean, there are so many good actors and actresses. There isn't a bad performance in this in this entire movie. Uh no, I even like the dad. Uh, he's been in other things. Uh, Kurt Fuller. Yeah, I've seen him. Uh, stuff. Like just the part he's playing, he he does good enough for what he needs to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's move on here. Um, so yeah, great, great uh, uh, Hemingway monologue there. But yeah, then we we run into Gertrude Stein, who's played by the wonderful Kathy Bates. Love Kathy Bates, and this is where I have mixed feelings on her. But I, I'll just leave in this movie or just no in this movie she's she's great, just okay. like everyone else. It may, maybe that's just a credit to Woody Allen, but. Okay. Uh, Kathy Bates, I, I tend to get kind of annoyed with because I kind of see the same character pop up a little bit. But okay, I'll just we'll just leave that alone for now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, she's Gertrude Stein. Uh, when he gets there, uh, he gives her his novel, but uh, he also sees uh, that she runs. Uh, she's critiquing one of uh, Pablo Picasso's paintings. Yeah. And this is also where we meet uh, Marianne Cotillard, uh, who plays Adrian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand you have some uh, thoughts on this whole Picasso situation. Yeah, so we see this. I don't. I don't even know how to describe this painting. What it is? It's to me, it makes no sense. And I, you know, I'm not an art guy. I don't want to pretend to, to know anything about art <laughs> at all, other than movies, painting art. <laughs> yeah, yes. Painting. <laughs> But uh, they're describing what looks like complete nonsense uh, in this, like, you know, I would almost call this pseudo-intellectual. You know, it's, it, it's it's a woman in some way, you know, with, like, some almost sp- like a spider. It's really hard to describe. If you see the movie, it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe you can put this into the show, <laughs> into the, into <laughs> yeah. the show notes or something. Uh, but in Kathy Bates, she's basically trying to say that Pablo Picasso is portraying her in a way that's sort of crude, in a way that he knows her as a lover, but the audience doesn't know her that way. And it's making a judgment that the audience can't understand. I don't understand any of it. I'm just looking at, to me, I don't see beauty or anything in, in this in this painting at all. What, what are your thoughts on this? No, in, in this particular painting, no. Um, so I wonder if Woody Allen is messing with us here. Uh, when when someone is pontificating and going on and on and on using all these big words about what this thing means, is it shades of Paul? Because this thing is clearly ugly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is that what's going on here? Well, I mean, they touch on it later because, I mean, Paul and uh, he's showing them that painting. They run into that painting later and uh, he's talking about it and, you know, says who's, who it's of. And then that's again when Gil corrects him and says, you oh, know, that's it's actually seeing here. Yeah. <laughs> again, and he's actually right because he was actually in that time. Um, yeah, I, I could totally see it uh, being, um, 
yeah, like you said, pseudo intellectual. I could totally totally see that. I mean, I didn't think too much of it. Yeah, I think it's a terrible painting. I think they do kind of crap on it in the movie. Um, that it's you know, it's just an unsuccessful yeah. version of his him not doing a good job, right? Um, yeah. but yeah, th- but there's people out there. It's like, oh, it's Pablo Picasso. So I'm gonna act great. like I I know I know what this painting is. I know what it means. Okay, and, well, I could see that. So maybe. Yeah. Because you're an artist, sometimes you fail, and sometimes you don't do something well. But because you have a name, then everyone assumes it's or are willing to posture that it's this good thing because it was done by this right. good artist. So yeah, maybe this is no different than just uh, you know a, a, a songwriter who's writing a bad song, and that's yeah. kind of what it is. And it maybe it gives confidence to other artists that you know you know yeah artists will have you know great artists will have bad days. Maybe that sparks Gill's confidence a little. Um, so maybe the critique was just entirely valid and yeah. I, I didn't get it, but I didn't see the things that she was saying. I didn't see any of it. I couldn't right. see she's going, I mean, to me, it's just strange shapes. I can't say it, I could see if it was a more realistic picture of a woman and maybe she's, you know, giving a look or her body is positioned in a certain way. I could agree. This didn't make it. None of this made sense. To no, me. definitely not. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it it is what it is, and you you meet this uh, his girlfriend. Yeah, his girlfriend, Pablo Picasso's girlfriend, Marianne Cotillard. Adriana, Adriana. Yep, and she mentions how uh, to Gil how she you know wishes uh, she would have been born at a different time as well. And this is just where you know him and her and Gil are having a conversation, and this is just where Marianne Cotillard is just a steal. steal uh, Scene stealer. Yeah, she takes you know, over she just, the movie. Yeah, for she just like comes. Five minutes. Yeah, she just comes out of the screen. It's just you're just like captivated by her, and she's been great in other films. Um, it's this close shot, and it's sort of out of focus. Yeah, and she's just talking, and you're you almost don't even know what she's saying. No, <laughs> she's just like captivating. Yeah, right in that moment. Yeah, she's got this awesome accent, yeah. and you're just yeah, you're just like drawn into it. She's um, telling the story of how she's. You know, been bouncing around, and uh, Gil calls her the ultimate art groupie because she's been hooking up with all these famous artists. <laughs> right, <laughs> art groupie. <laughs> um, and um, so yeah, so you, you, he gets that connection with her a little bit. You feel a connection with them. He's he, he's drawn in like we are. Like I said, I think we're this film is definitely we're seeing it through his eyes. Right, you're captivated with her the way yeah. Gil is. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Woody Allen is he's doing that perfectly to get you captivated right. by her. Definitely great filmmaking there. Uh, yeah, filmmaking aspect. That's, I, that's I did notice one little thing when he goes back into the twenties. There's sort of this warm hue. And slightly fuzzy look to everything, uh, and yeah. then when it's into the present, it's a little bit colder and sharper. And I don't, I don't know if it just happened to be that way, but I, I noticed that. Yeah, I think that, that that would probably be purpose, you know, on purpose. I think that definitely, you know, sets the tone for, you know, gives you differentiates each time period. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I could definitely notice that as well. Um, and then uh, I'll go through a couple more scenes, and then uh, Paul's showing the Monet stuff to him. I love, I actually love that part just because of the backdrop. Like they're, they're the paintings are all on the wall, it's and then they sh- they shoot just the four of them, and all you see is the paintings behind them. Beautiful shot. Um, and Woody Allen is just showing off Paris, right? You know? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, this is. This yeah. is the place. This is this what's is amazing. Where we are. Yeah. <laughs> and again, most of his films are in New York or in, in things like that. And I just love how he's he's venturing off into other places. Um, and uh, and then they run into the Picasso painting, and Gil, you know, Paul's talking <laughs> yeah. about uh, it, and Gil corrects him and says, uh, 
you know, there's a subtlety in her beauty and, and man, she was a knockout. Phew. Like he makes like a funny line like that. It's like, how, how would you, how would you know that? Yeah. Because uh, that Paul whole interaction was cool. Paul attributes the, the painting to another woman and, and goes like, well, you know, I'm going to have to correct you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes in and says, it's actually, you know, this, his mistress, Adriana, who was blah, blah, blah. And actually dated this guy. Uh, and, and that hits on another thing that we mentioned earlier, which is, knowledge by experience versus knowledge by you know reading books or some other form of education gill was there right nobody believes right. him because he's not credentialed right but he actually experienced these things yeah and these things yeah probably weren't in the history books or anything but since he experienced it he was right yeah uh whereas paul was just going off of book smarts or whatever you want to call it it does just um, kind of make you question the you know if you've ever been to a museum now I, now i'm gonna think you know is this person just full of full of nonsense right <laughs> full of nonsense <laughs> yeah. or yeah or it was just history a lot of history is it right. full of nonsense like, this is the official story that was right. handed down but was this actually what yeah, happened we you know? don't know those little details of history like yeah. it, little details could totally change our concept of certain history right. which is is, is outstanding is just remarkable to me and fascinating thing to think about yeah none of us were there so how right. can you really say for sure what happened right yeah it's it's definitely a conversation we could probably get deep into <laughs> um uh so yeah we get to that i just love that shot of the whole painting stuff and then he gets back to the 1920s he's dancing runs into hemingway again um around the carousel um and then uh uh he's with this this spanish guy or whatever and i just like at one point he's like who wants to fight that's when he says that <laughs> hemingway yeah. says that <laughs> here's where gill uh, and adriano are starting to develop more of a rapport with one another yeah absolutely that's where she tells him that uh you know that the turn of the century was her favorite era like the 1890s yeah and here's where we touch on this 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 idea this fallacy from the beginning this golden age thinking and it seems obvious to us, I think, that, you know, 1920s Paris is a great place because look at all the, you know, amazingly talented people that were there. But here's this woman living in 1920s Paris, and she's like, no, I think I want to go back a generation because yeah. that was the better time. So, yeah, that's the start of the realization. And Gil's you know. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're living in the best thing I could think right. of. And she's like, it's really not that great. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like to me, I feel like I would want to live in the seventies, but if I'd like talk to my dad or something, like I, he would probably be like, well, why would you want to live there? Yeah. Or, yeah. Know? For me, it's kind of the fifties. I like the fifties. Okay. I, I feel like I'd like that. I think I mainly like seventies just for, I think seventies is my favorite era of film. So maybe that's why I just would love to have experienced those movies like no, while they were that. happening and. This isn't like actual real stuff experiencing life going to the movies, but uh, um, yeah, well, yeah, I could see. Well, the twenties do have kind of an allure because uh, if you if you look at you know all the, all the setting, all the all the the sets are amazing in this yeah. movie. They look just beautiful. They're just all well done. They look lived in. They're just impeccable. But the twenties are, are pretty interesting because it's you know it's far enough away, and it's before television. It's before the internet, which. You know, I love the internet, but maybe I could see how you could say maybe we could be better off without it in yeah. some ways. But in the twenties, I mean, they did it for years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, obviously, people lived. Right? Yeah, and you know, what's it doing for us beyond our ability to access information is really good. It's good to be able to you know look something up on IMDb, <laughs> one <Yes>. those picture. <laughs> but in the end, you know, is this doing something? Right? Is this enhancing my well, my it, life experience in any way? But it, 
Go ahead. It kind of goes to Paul's character. I mean, yeah, he's he's getting in all this information where we have so much access to this information. But I mean, what good does it do if we're all we're doing is just getting this information on our iPads and our phones? And I imagine and that it, instead of actually experiencing our life. whole life is being Paul, right? Is, yeah. is this what we we've are, been devolved to we, an internet discussion? We're just the Paul of the world. Well, actually, it's you know been it's 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 X Y Z, not you know whatever. <laughs> I, here's my link to Wikipedia. <laughs> We we are, I guess we are the Paul of this movie. It's a sad existence. I think, yeah, I guess I guess Paul kind of represents just this whole generation now. I guess in wow, a way. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty. Um, that's pretty powerful. Just to be this pedantic jerk who yeah. just can show you, you know, to interrupt someone's discussion and you know say. Well, no, you're wrong because I, you know, here's yeah. my link. Or I read about this, and you, you actually don't know what you were talking about. You missed this minor detail here because it's never ending, right? Right. Just like what you like in forums, you call link wars, because right? No one's going to change anybody's mind. And right. You're, you could. There's endless amounts of evidence you could present, but yeah. But the thing I want <laughs> just to go back just just a little bit. Yeah. The 1920s are pretty alluring because it's before that, but they also have electricity. Uh, they, you know, they, they have, I think, that, that, I don't know if they have antibiotics, I think Gil actually mentions that at one point, but they have flushing toilets, and the houses kind of look like what we live in now, so you can still get a little bit of, I think they had, yeah, they had a radio. Right. They had a gramophone, music, music. Places you could go to listen to music. They had cars, and trains. Right. So I could actually really see the appeal of that era, because you, you can you can go back to more traditional life, but still be able to flip on a light bulb. That's yeah. pretty appealing. Especially in Paris, because I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. we're, I think we're almost to that point um, where he talks about Paris, you know, being, um, you know, nothing can compete with a great city, which I think is it, it's true. Um if you've been, I mean, I, I I've never you know been to Europe or anything. I have not which either. I, I want to someday. Obviously, we should do a podcast um, from Europe. Yes, ooh, <laughs> there you go. But I mean, there's city, even old cities in America that just had this certain like character to them, and and oh yeah, and, yeah, you walk through Boston or yeah. Charleston or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You, you feel the history. You it's it's good when you're sort of rootless and everything is you know no older than fifty years old. You don't have that sense of history and be able to stroll through a city like that like paris with with so much history yeah it's you could yeah you could you i can imagine just feeling all of that yeah um and then they so yeah he basically goes on a stroll with adriana then um and uh he asks her if she, he likes it day or night better but i mean really they're both just great um he says nothing can compete with a great city uh, they have what a, he calls it the hottest spot in the universe. He goes, in this yeah, he's like talking about space, <laughs> Neptune, Jupiter, and stuff. And it's she probably pro true, right? Yeah, and she probably has like no idea what he's talking about because I don't know if these pla <laughs> these planets haven't been discovered yet. Uh, well, I think that well, I, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it, I, the, the fact is, it's absolutely probably true. I right. mean, if it's, it's, it's at that point, um, yeah, I mean, this is the hottest spot in the universe. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> Paris in the twenties is. Kind of like what New York probably was in the, I don't know, later on in life. I mean, yeah, who cares about New York, really? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's I mean, true. Paris but, I mean, is Paris. Yeah, Paris is Paris. At exactly. that point, it's in got time, character. Yeah. And again, nothing can comp compete with a great city. And I, I love that line. It's just a funny. It's just a funny thing, you know. It's one of these. Just it's a little line, but it makes you. It does make you think. I, I know how to spot in the universe, and it is. Chances are, it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. I'm at like the peak of right. of life here. Yeah, me strolling through this, you know, the city of lights or whatever. This is this is it. Why would I want to leave here? 
exactly in in, in this time period but uh he was trying to even enjoy it in modern time i mean and which i'm sure people can do now um uh and then yeah it's just so, i don't know i think adriana says i love walking with you then they find zelda um about to jump she's ready um, to jump into yeah, the river because she hates her life hates her life um and then that's when gil gives her a valium yeah and this says is it's a, a pill of the future yeah it's a, they don't know what it is it's yeah. going to calm you down and this i think is a really pivotal point at least for me in figuring everything out um so he gives her a valium and they're like what is that and he's like just a pill yeah pill of the future he's like and, and then he He's like, I've been taking these a lot lately, you know, since I've been engaged to Inez. But uh, I'm sure once I get married, I won't have to take these anymore or something like that, right. which is clearly a lie. I mean, this is the beginning. Yeah. This is denial, right? This is the, It doesn't get more clear than this. And this goes back to Paul. You know, the, your nostalgia is denial. Yeah. What are you in denial of? You're in denial of your relationship. You're, yeah. You're pumping yourself full of pills because... This is the reason why Gil wants to escape. He wants to escape his present because of his relationship and his job situation. But mostly, I think, his relationship with Inez. And so that's why he wants to literally go back decades so he doesn't have to deal with that. Right. And I think, is he in denial of his career a little? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are those are great points. So in this uh, little stroll, um, I think he brings, like when he gives a Zelda the volume, uh, he says it, you know, was his fiance's, and you know he's using it for that. Um, so Adriana finds out. Oh, I didn't know you were engaged, and they're kind yeah. of sitting at a bar. What a way to let that slip! Yeah, right? it's like, oh, <laughs> sorry. And you could tell right away she's kind of thrown off by it. Um, and then you know he tries to tell her about Inez a little bit, and he says, uh, you know, she, you know, she has a sharp sense of humor. Uh, she's attractive. And that's like the only thing he has to say about her. And then he <laughs> says, uh, we don't agree on everything, uh, not even, you know, the important things or big things. Um, so they have like nothing in common. Um, but he's then he starting says, to figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. And then he says, uh, we like Indian food, <laughs> uh, but, but not all Indian food. <laughs> not, not all. We, we like to, we like the pita bread that right. you know, comes with the Indian food. Yeah. But she doesn't like, I don't know, almonds or something. Yeah. So, I mean, right there, you, you just, if that's all you have to say, I mean, in, in, in a way, I mean, he, he's almost going on just looks and attraction, you know I mean? He, he mm -hmm. was kind of stuck in that. I mean, we all, we all can get, you know, sucked into that where we're, you know, just attracted by something. And, and that's the reason we don't really go deep into it. Yeah. I think both of them are attracted to each other for very superficial reasons. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was a, a interesting was tidbit there. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Funny and interesting because it kind of, you know, shows the audience plus, uh, Plus, you know, almost shows Gil the uh, gives him start the realization of of you know what is uh... yeah, and he's starting to now fall a bit for Adriana. So yeah. now he has to explain himself to this girl, who of course is from the 1920s. Right. So <laughs> it's just it's a bit a bit of a funny dynamic because yeah. here he is with a with a fiance. Now he's talking to this girl, but now he's got to like backtrack a bit about his fiance because right. now he like he kind of starting to like this, this right this girl exactly. Um, and then so yeah, Adriana leaves because she's kind of thrown off by the engagement. Um, and then that's when he runs into Adrian Brody, who plays Dolly. Dolly. 
talking about Dali. <laughs> I thought this is brilliantly played by Adrian Brody. It's yeah. just a quick cameo. Well just done. hilarious. And we already got into, you know, the whole what we think the rhinoceros means. And I'm going to draw you with a sad face. So, I mean, he notices he has a sad face. Are you a Dali fan, um, by the way? Just real quick. Uh, I, I mean, I know we have that here in uh, St. Pete. I haven't been in the museum or anything. I don't have much experience with him. So I, I like Dali a lot. Yeah. I don't like Picasso. Um, but I like Dolly. Is a lot. Dolly is he the like melty clock guy? Yeah. And, yep, same okay. Guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not sidetrack. Uh, I'm not a big painting guy. I'm not a big artist guy. Like sometimes I'm. I, I question how people can be moved by just a piece of art, like painting wise. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite art form is obviously film and then music. Um, I'm but, the same. Uh, but but but. Uh, when I did go to an art museum in Chicago, I could actually, I can uh, kind of gave me an idea of just how, how people could feel something by this. And even like Picasso, like I never understood him before. And uh-huh. I saw a couple paintings there and I was like, okay, I, I get this guy now. Like so you I got can, an appreciation. Yeah, I got for more it. of yeah. appreciation for, it and I could, I could more, you know, grasp how people could actually feel drawn to these and have an emotion because that's i mean that's that's what art's all about is feeling an emotion from it and um and obviously i feel that most with film and it's about uh, being true as yes being true having courage and not fearing death absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and uh see so he's talking about the rhino two other guys show up uh one of them's i think it's a director of films. yeah he's a filmmaker i don't know the name yeah and he's and then gill's explaining he's like i'm in love with uh two women from a different time yeah something. and then the one guy's a man in love with a woman from a different era and he says, "I see a, pl- I see a, a painting." And then the guy says, "I see a film." Right, which is um, self-referential in a way, too. Right. Obviously, this is what we're watching. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he does um, that again, too. Yeah. Well. Uh, and then we go back to modern time. Uh, Gill's talking about his novel. Uh, he says he, you know, it's too real. Um, so I mean, we get a sense that. You know, in this whole movie, it's all about fantasy. I mean, he's he's traveling in time to this to this uh, to this uh, era, which only happens at midnight. And uh, he he himself is almost, and he runs into these sur- surrealists who are Dolly and these other two guys. Um, and it's getting stranger for yeah, him. Yeah, right? getting stranger. So he's thinking his novel's too real. Um, let's see. He's here. trying to relate to his environment. He's just he's still he. He feels that it's real that he's going back in time because, by all accounts, it is real. But it, he, how does he make sense of it with what's going on right. back in his hotel room in Paris, where he wakes up? I think that one day, and he's like off in another dimension. He's like he's he's having these weird dreams. He's waking up. He all he can think about is what he did. Uh, Inez is you know badgering him about going wherever. He's like, I don't want to talk to you, woman. <laughs> so, Get away from me. I got stuff going. I got stuff going on in my head that I can't even explain to you. And right. I, you know, I tried taking you, and then you took off. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, so he's already starting to feel that this disconnection, and he's almost like she's in a robe. He tries to like he, again. He's just showing that he's attracted to her, so he's you know he's trying to like fool around a little bit, and she's not having it. So I think this that morning, uh, I don't even think we mentioned it, but I think that night before, uh, she said she was going. She told her parents she was going out dancing with Paul, right? And yeah. this is the next morning, and I. Pretty sure that's the night she cheated on yeah. him with Paul. 
Yeah, which yeah, which yeah, we find out later, and then she yeah, she totally just brushes it off. But I think even then, it's kind of obvious. Yeah, because it's like why her parents don't even ask her, which I thought was strange. They're yeah. in a restaurant and they're like being just ugly Americans. But you know, there's also a dog in the booth next <laughs> to them. I mean, I, I can't fault someone. It's a dog inside. You know, yeah. I'm a, I I've got a dog and I love dogs, but that's a little weird. <laughs> I know the dad <laughs> just keeps looking back like yeah. every so often. It's a bit obnoxious for like a fine dining restaurant to have just as annoying dogs sitting behind you, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in Paris. I just yeah. paid to come to Paris. Come on, man. Then, there's dogs in these restaurants. Yeah, but here she she reveals that she's going to go dancing with Paul. And no one seems to bat an eye on it. And then that next morning, she's in a robe. Yeah, and then Gild sort of grabs her from behind and pulls her into the bed. She doesn't want to have, want to have anything to do with him. And I, I think that's the night after she cheated on him. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would say so. I think that's what yeah. Happened. I mean, that's that's that would make total sense. Okay. And then basically from there, he jumps to uh, Gertrude basically critiquing his novel. Yeah, because he he had given the novel to her before once and then she gave him notes and then he rewrote it and gave it back to her and then she's this is her second round of notes so you, like you said yeah she he gives gertrude his novel and then we're back in the, in the 1920s again she shows him uh talks to him about it she said it has like a science fiction feel to it um which i thought was interesting because i mean this whole movie has like a science fiction feel to it but it's not total science fiction it's just because it's a i don't know it's just like a fun dramedy movie and it's you know it's just it's interesting time time travel it's just yeah from the per, from the perspective of someone that's in the 1920s all the things that he's writing about in 2010 yeah. or 11 is of course science fiction right, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and then she's talking about uh you know his his book a little and she gives this great quote which is just i don't know it's kind of dark in a way um but basically gertrude says um the artist's job is not to come uh succumb to despair but to find antidote for the emptiness of existence i that line to me is just so powerful and just so um you know if anyone has appreciate appreciation for creating stuff you know uh you know whether it be music or film or just have an appreciation for the subject um it just it really hit home for me uh well, i mean what what are your thoughts yeah on this? same thing with me i mean this hit me like right between the eyes and yeah. she's also like don't be a defeatist and <laughs> it's true right i mean if you're going to create something i mean like take this podcast right now right we're, we're we're here just talking. I don't want to call it art per se, but you know, we're what are we doing here? We're trying to find a truth, right? We're trying to right. find meaning. Really, what she's saying is, if you're going to write about something, then don't just end it or whatever. Find meaning. That's exact. That's the translation. And I think this is what we're doing here right now. Yeah. We're trying to find meaning from from these movies that we can you know talk about and translate so that people listening can like find that meaning for themselves and do something right yeah so i i thought that was just so powerful yeah and it's just such a such a lesson cuz yeah i mean you could watch a movie and just again succumb to the uh despair you could just feel depressed about it and just not learn from it whereas again find the antidote for the emptiness of existence like any ep- emptiness you feel like find you know why it made you feel that way find, you know work on you know what what that was that made you feel that way and just again work work past it don't just don't just end it there don't just end it feeling that way yeah i mean life kind of stinks right and it's, right. it's really difficult and, <laughs> and it's hard uh and and if you're gonna do something if you're gonna 
you know, put yourself out there. Really do it and 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 find your truth and put it out there. And that's what I think. That's what she's saying. You know, find find a way to 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 defeat that, or at least for a moment when you're experiencing it, you feel strong. It's almost like the Hemingway thing where you you're cheating death, or you're feeling that you that you don't fear death because you you have a truth and you're ready to feel you know feel that way about it. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Yeah, I love love that line. Everyone um, should do this, right? I mean, you can't. Maybe you can't do this when you're checking someone out at a grocery store if you're a cashier, but you. Can, I mean, you, I know, but you can still find find a meaning. You know, don't. I, almost, I I don't know. It's probably not exactly what's uh, what she's saying, but just don't don't sulk in the corner. Don't don't. Uh, you know, which is what he was doing in his right. in his life. Yeah. Absolutely, and his, like he his wasn't, work was reflecting that. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything about his situation. He was just uh, succumbing to it. He was just like, "All right, well, this is my life. I wish I could live in this other time, but I can't." When it, really he could have just been working on it to find that antidote again of that antidote antidote for the emptiness of existence. Which is and a, just that line is just <laughs> powerful. Yeah, I mean it's because it's 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 beyond true right it follows us everywhere we go you know we have we all have that empty feeling right that we fill it with something so be courageous and man up right (laughs) and and do something about it find some meaning even if it's not great right even if you know even like the stuff we're saying right now it's not that great but we're you know we're throwing ourselves out (laughs) right we're finding some truth and to do something right and he wasn't doing it and she called him out on it yeah, and I wonder if this is something like Woody Allen has felt before, just because he—I mean—he wrote this line. He he wrote what uh, what Hemingway was saying. Clearly, um, uh, and and yeah, it's just he, do something that's true. Uh, like like uh, yeah, like, this like is Hemingway an insight. Said. This yeah. is a, like a life insight here, right? Absolutely portrayed by these famous people, but right. it, this resonates throughout everything you do. I mean, yeah. if you're just kind of moping around and we all do it right but <laughs> find something find that thing so you can you know belt it out to the world or whatever yep. it is belt it out my friend belt it out yeah i know this, i love this this yeah. line is this <laughs> this is an amazing point in yeah. the movie and i i think actually now that I, I went by it i believe i rewound this uh like three times yeah i heard this line again then i rewound <laughs> I, yeah because again when you watch the the show for this podcast i mean we're we're looking at it in a different light we're analyzing every time and every tiny thing i don't know if i noticed this the first time nurse I, I don't know if i've ever like i obviously heard it yeah but I, don't, I didn't give it much thought i don't think it had an effect and then yeah. you move on to the next thing but when you have that ability to go back to it and you're like what what what, what is she saying and mm-hmm. you know what is Woody Allen, like you said, what is Woody Allen saying? Right. And as an artist, this is what he's telling us. And now here we are <laughs> distilling it down even further. You know, this is a this is kind of like the essence of the stuff you do. Right. You know, be true. So yeah, back to back to present time. Um and, and you know, we, we didn't mention before, but he, he ran into this uh nostalgia shop that's actually in Paris, um, that uh he meets this girl at. You know, no no you know, nothing of it. You know, it's just a nice nice French girl. Yeah, he um, hears the Cole Porter song let's being played on the yep. gramophone and he gravitates to it. Yeah. He sees I think it's Leah Sado, who was the Bond girl for yep. the last one. Absolutely. Um and then yeah, so when then they're back uh back 
in modern time, the family's going on this little side trip. Gil decides not to go. Um, he runs into the nostalgia merchant again because, you know, she's singing that song. And he finds uh, Adriana's diary. And in that diary, he finds out she's actually talking about him. So, I mean, he's actually a part of history <laughs> yeah. now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this it's is almost, almost like, like uh, I don't know, like the, yeah, he finds this old book and then she's reading it to him. And yeah. He's like, I fell in love with an American named Gil Pender. And he's just like staring off. <laughs> and then she says uh, something that I wish he would. Or something about I wish I would get a gift of earrings or something like that, and that's where he gets yeah. the idea. Gets the earrings. He he takes the earrings from his wife's thing, and he's about to leave, and the wife comes back, <laughs> yeah. and they're all worried about. Oh my goodness, she noticed her earrings are missing. It's this funny moment, uh, and you know he's oh your earrings were in the bathroom all along. I found them here. And it's just funny, funny little moment. Yeah, like I, like I said, this is almost like uh, when in the Jurassic Park with when Dennis and he's trying to escape and go go steal the embryos. When it's just he's, you're obviously lying. It's like, well, no, I'm going to get the earrings. I'm just going to head right out. And well, maybe you left it over here, and I found them in the sink. You know, it's just like this funny thing. You're so <laughs> lying. <laughs> just going to the vending machine. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And then he's back in the 20s again. So, yeah. I mean, he's, he keeps going back and forth. You know, he just goes for a night to the 20s and comes back. Um, he finds out Hemingway is in Africa with Adriana because they're, I guess, a thing now. Um, he's at some sort of... That was a buzzkill for him. Yeah, absolutely. But Adriana comes back eventually after the uh, Africa trip. Um, and uh, he kisses her while they're on a stroll again. And again, he's I, I found this as he's kissing... Uh, he's in love with a fantasy here he's kissing her i mean he she's she's not real per se i mean she's in this 1920s world right he's you know gonna end up in this 19 you know in modern times um but uh but yeah you can't you, you can't just think about the past and you can't dwell on it because it's never gonna happen again the past is the past you gotta move on i think that's a big theme of this movie yeah i'd agree um and it's always you know grass is always greener on the other side i mean no matter what i mean you know, if you if you're you know, in one situation, you're like, oh man, life would be so much better. With, you know, if I was in that situation. Yeah, and here we see that played out because as they're going, they end up uh, transporting even farther back in time. Right. Yeah. This is, is where, which is what she said. I think it's called Labelle Epoch or something like that. Which is like, yeah, uh, it's sort of like turn of the turn of the 20th century time you know like the right. late 1800s early 1900s which she has said early in the movie is what she what she would prefer she'd go back to so now yeah. now they're in this and they go into the restaurant and i think they go even go into like the moulin yeah. rouge i think they're doing the can something like that and it's funny because it's a horse carriage that comes yeah instead of a car, instead of a car. Yeah. yeah exactly um but yeah i think there's just uh, i've always I've, i remember just reading something that People have an exaggerated view of the past, um, even if it's a past that you actually lived. Like when you think back about the good old days, you never know, you know, you're in the good old days until you're out of them, uh, which is a Andy Bernard quote from The Office, which is actually <laughs> actually a really good quote it's in the last episode. It, but we do have an exaggerated view of the past, and he has an exaggerated view of his past. But I think this is where he starts to come into the realization that, you know, no matter where you live, you know, I could live in the 20s for a while, but I'm going to eventually want to live in a different period. Yeah, like you, you're not satisfied. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, if you if you feel anything. No, absolutely. I mean, up. it's clearly that's the case with Adriana. Yeah. She wants to go back to an earlier time. And then they meet. 
these other men in the bar and these guys are they're, they're saying how great it is uh you know how great is it to live in this period with all these they they meet some artist or uh, someone or whatever and they meet um i forget who he is some i don't sort of midget he, he is definitely a midget <laughs> Uh, but despite his small stature, they, <laughs> they're <laughs> impressed with him. Uh, and then they meet these other guys who are like, no, I wish I was in the Renaissance and I could have seen Michelangelo. Right, or yeah. Like that. So it's sort of like this never-ending idea that, yeah. you know, wherever you are, you think that in Earth. So that's the fallacy, right? Yeah. But I, I would I would just to say that I would push back on that just a little bit Okay. to say that this is always true because I don't know that it is because uh, – Things don't always get better all the time, right? So the the movie would sort of present it. I know it's just you know it's a movie, but it's simple. But it would present it as the idea that you can never look back, uh, that some earlier time was better. But that may be true, right? I mean, if you lived in a city that got you know if you lived uh, in a city that got you know nuclear blasted in Japan, then you know maybe an earlier time was better, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, not, it all depends. It doesn't mean yeah. This is an extreme example, but just just, just I just want to push back just a little bit. But this this doesn't want to. This is not the point. Um, but the idea that things are always better, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Right. Um, but for the you know for the purposes of the movie, this is all these characters are are in denial in some way. I mean, Adriana is in her own denial, right? That's why she wants to go back to La Belle Epoque. And that's why Gil wants to go back to the 1920s. And that's why those guys would like to go back to the Renaissance. And those are all great times. But to actually live in them, you ha you everyone has their own, you know, little miseries and their own empty existence. And that's why, as Gertrude Stein tells Gil, that you have to, you know, push through that and find some meaning in the things that you do. Right. No, that's absolutely amazing points you just brought out there no seriously i mean that's that's it's so true i mean you never you never know you just gotta i think it definitely a also a live in the moment movie i'd say you know you gotta just find happiness in your current situation if you're not happy in your current situation you gotta change it you gotta find a way to to make it happy because guess what there's not a, a bell ringing no. at midnight every night that you can go to and and go into this world right sure would um, be nice but yeah we don't have it, such choice it would be great and you know and, even then you still have to face it right? right you still have to deal with the present yeah you know you've got this life that you're living in and that's that's what brings us to this great line because i mean adriana's saying about how she wants to stay in the 1920s um and then that's again this is when everything comes into perspective for him comes into realization um uh again if 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 this if this becomes her present you know if she stays there long enough she's going to want to go to another time um and that's when he brings up the line um that's what the present is that's what the present is. It's a little unsatisfying because life is a little unsatisfying. How true. You have to come to that realization. You know, it's not always going to be, oh, if I, if I lived in that time, I would be perfectly happy. You could be happier, um, I'd say. You could, Maybe. You could be happier. Right. But it doesn't mean you're going to be 100% happy. You could still get that un unsatisfaction. It might be something that suits your style a little bit more, right. or to your aesthetic, or to something that you enjoy more. But it, you know, you're not solving the the problem that made you unhappy to begin with. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think it's just the main point that you need to you need to face the present, and Gil has finally realizes that he's sort of broken out of that denial. He's had that, as he says, I think he says, "I've had this insight," and then you know he's applying it to Adriana at first, but it's really about him. 
And he needs to go back and make changes in his own life. This is what he figures out. Yeah. His nostalgia has been denial about his relationship, his you know, his job, his stuff like that. Yeah. He needs to go back to 2010 or whatever one that's being shot and go fix it because right. he'll never be happy if he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, because he came to a realization that, you know, this was an illusion. I mean, this... Uh, and he needs to just let it go. He needs to let go of the past. He needs to let go of this illusion. Um, um, you can't escape your, you know, your your reality. There is no, like you said, there is no bell tolling that you can just run away. Right. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out my notes here. It says protagonist doesn't see their partner as being as having an affair. It's called denial. I think that is reference to his book. Yeah, because yeah. Gertrude Stein uh, says um, Hemingway has a critique because Hemingway is the truth character. Mm-hmm. His. I mean, he is there to just bust BS. He's like, no, this is wrong, and here's what it is. Right. And I think, um, yeah, I think uh, Gil asks, this may have been earlier, or maybe it's later, I don't remember it. I guess, yeah. Gil, uh, Gertrude Stein says, yeah, Hemingway has some critique. He's like, he's like, he likes it, which is surprising, because based on what we know earlier, Hemingway says, I'm going to hate it, because if it's good, for either, either if it's good or bad, I'm going to hate it. Right. right. He says, it's, it's actually, it actually is good, but the problem is, the main character doesn't realize that his fiance is having an affair with this other guy. Right. And that's when he comes to a realization. He's like, Oh, uh, <laughs> talking, uh... yeah. Cause he, so, so picture that, right. You're writing a novel right. about your own a character that represents you and a fiance that represents your own fiance. And that fiance is then having an affair with this other guy. Right. And you don't even realize what you're writing because you're in yeah. such denial. Right. Absolutely, and and he confronts her about it right after that scene. He confronts her about it yep. and says, and he's like super calm about it. He's, like, you know, and she's it's like, kind of weird. Yeah, right? it's kind of weird. You know, she's kind of blown it off at first. She's like, okay, fine, yeah, I, I slept it. We we slept a little with each other. Yeah, she blah, admits blah, blah. it, and then and even almost even weirder. Maybe he's just so beyond it, but he's like his reaction is almost like you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Yeah, except it's Paris, and I don't know. It's kind of weird. I I th- I thought I would yeah, say that's no. kind of a bit of a misstep yeah, in the movie. It's there. definitely well, and especially because she expects him to stay anyway. She's like, oh, whatever, get her over it. Yeah, she's like, you're uh, stupid. What do you care? But, like, but yeah, at the same she's like, time, so what? I was with Paul yeah. for a couple of nights. But in, well, at the same time, yeah, he do- he doesn't care. Um, he says, you know, I'm staying in Paris. You know, it's not because of all that. Uh, I think it's just because I think the bottom line is he didn't really love her. So it's just that he's over it. He's he's over over it. it. Yeah, he's over it. I don't think he really loved her. Um, No, I would agree with that for um, sure. There was no truth there. Absolutely. And so, yeah, he says he's going to stay in Paris. And she was not a truly great woman. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much. And then just a quick note. Uh, so her father hired a PI to investigate what he was doing at nights. Um, so it's a P- bit throwaway. Yeah, it's a throwaway. But uh, but anyways, the PI you see him in various scenes, and then because uh, he end, follows, he's he's assigned to follow Gil, which he right. then follows him back in time. Absolutely. So yeah, you <laughs> the last thing you see of uh, him is like he's in like I don't know the Renaissance maybe or just yeah, a yeah. little further back. Right. Um. It's like so fourteen hundreds. Yeah, something. he's Who like knows? stuck in that time frame but it's just it goes to show you that you know you can obviously keep going back and back in this fantasy or whatever it is it almost was like versailles when yeah. you know people live there so yeah it kind of ends with uh gill deciding to just walk in modern day he doesn't go back to he he could have went 
again back to that spot where he could have got picked up and gone to the 1920s but now he decides uh to just walk in modern day he just walks in modern day yeah i guess that's true like yeah i think that's important maybe yeah. this was like a portal for him to maybe go endlessly this, mm-hmm. that is possible and yeah he decides to not do that he he's ready to deal with his present right He's going to, yeah, he, of course you would want to live in the Paris in the 20s, but no, I, it's time for me to disface their realization. One, if I live in Paris in the 20s long enough, um, I'm going to want to live somewhere else. I, It'll be right I, with Adrian. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the uh, Belle Epoque. And again, maybe he doesn't want to lose that feeling of, you know, the Paris that he actually loves, the Paris that he actually, you know, actually wants to go to. Yeah. If he goes there and stays there too long, he won't love it as much. And that's kind of his passion. Like, why not just keep the feelings I have about it now? Right. Live my life now, and um, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, you can. It, it's fun to be nostalgic. It's fun to talk about old times, but at the same time, it's also you gotta live life again. Yeah, like it is. Hemingway it, said, and you know, they say nostalgia. You know, it's you think of it, or we think of it typically as something that you did. I mean, he never experienced the twenties, obviously, but it, he had that same draw to that older time because of you know the things we say it is kind of great and yeah mean, paris in the 20s is kind of great absolutely like yeah. i want to go where he went i want to want to talk to hemingway i want to talk to i'd let hemingway punch me in the face i know I love every minute of <laughs> if it. he said let's fight i'd say yes yeah. please no, let's box you know again like, let's, you know, punch <laughs> me i don't care whatever i'll get yeah. a punch in the face i'll experience something because Ex- you don't get that now you don't yeah. but you know we don't have that luxury and you have to deal with you know where you are yeah. which is a combination of your choices and luck and whatever but you've got to deal with it you've got to find that meaning definitely and i think even talking about this stuff is almost in a way living life i mean we're you know we're acknowledging that stuff i mean doing this podcast right now i mean we're you know critiquing this stuff we're 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 really digging deep into it but i think that's what life is all about it's just like talking about these things and yeah, I would hope that somebody listening would get this exact point. I mean, yeah. this is a really big deal. I mean, this movie hits on it's it's deep. Yeah, I mean, it's deep. It's important. lighthearted, but it's 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, I think, like you said, if you don't go back and hear these these lines again, you just maybe hear the Hemingway character as just this really powerful, forceful guy, and then you move on. But this the, the lines in here are really important, and they really do apply to all of us. And there is actually a way to sort of figure stuff out i mean these are all things that we all feel and certainly woody allen as a guy he's like he's made so many movies he's he is an artist and you know this is a truth he discovered that he's telling us he's telling all of us and here we are like distilling it down even further yeah i mean i wonder if him writing this movie is just his way of realizing that you know i need to stop you know, living in the past, I need to stop making my art, you know, in succumbing to the despair of it. Yeah. I need to just... Maybe you know. he was like Gil Pender. Maybe he went through that bout himself. Yeah, absolutely. That, again, that's why I, th- I definitely see Gil uh, parallels with actual Woody Allen and his characters he's played. Yeah, it's funny to think of just a guy like Woody Allen, right? He has his... He's as accomplished as it gets, but, you know, like anyone else... We have our demons and our yep. our regrets and our and our you know our feelings of inadequacies or whatever, and maybe he maybe he dealt with this. I I, I can't speak for him. I don't know, but he definitely discovered a, d- discovered a truth here, 
Yeah, he discovered a truth. Yeah, and I think he wrote a truth. Like he he wrote Hemingway saying all that, and I think he's actually right. You know, why would he write Hemingway saying that and not you know writing what is true to him as well? I think that's yeah. Be courageous. Yeah, say what matters. You know, don't just shrink back and just let life kind of you know swell over you. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's but you got to do it. It's it's really super difficult. hard. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's 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 not easy, but uh, it's just something you just have to recognize in life. I mean, it's just something you can't ignore. You know, you have to just push through and just. If you're in a bad relationship, if you're in a bad situation, you gotta, you can't. You just, have to reevaluate, right? You can't just, you know, just just go away and try to escape. I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, it does. It can apply to anything, right? It's not just about I want to live in the twenties, right? Yeah. It's just about. You know, I've got this problem, and I'm just going to do everything I can to just try to forget about it. And that's what Gil was doing. I mean, his for him, it was a fantasy. But, you know, for all, for any one of us, it could be a simple thing like going out to do something, right? Yeah. You know, just, just, just to try to avoid thinking about um, this problem that you need to resolve. And it will never go away. No. Until you face it and yeah. resolve it. You can't blame it on what Gil did. He blamed it on timing. You know, if he, if he was, born if, he, the, yeah, yeah. if he lived in the twenties, everything would have been fine when really he just needed to change his current situation, which I think that's what it boils down to. It's about romanticizing the past. Right. It's about grass is always greener on the other side. Again, uh, life is unsatisfying you know we we have to deal with you know the president is unsatisfying like he said because life is unsatisfying and you have to come to that realization and just make the best of it <laughs> it's, it's not the most positive thing but no, it is but, the most realistic thing and you know in a way if you can get control of that which we all struggle to do right if you can do that then you'll be happier yeah i agree um, and then just to close out the film, it ends with a beautiful shot. He ends up on a bridge. You see this beautiful shot of uh, the Eiffel Tower lit up uh, at night. Yep. Uh, he runs into the nostalgia shop owner again, which I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily a romantic moment that they're going to end up together, but it's just he's found someone that he has something in common with. Well, a bit and... of. I mean, he sees you know a female version of the character in his novel. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> and and uh, he's now past he's past his present yeah he's resolved it you know not pleasantly but he's he's dealt with it and he's sort of he's a new man now he's right. he's over all this stuff he's he's released it he's ready to embrace his present and then move forward yep and it's it's not great i mean the scene itself i guess it's just very short there's not much going on yeah. there it's but it's a, it's enough. I mean, yeah. we we know that he's moved on. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a gorgeous shot. I think it's a gorgeous moment. Um, you know, he talks to her. He says, "You want to walk with me in the rain, or do you, do you like walking in the rain?" She says, "Paris is the most beautiful in the rain." And so there you go. Finds, yep. Boom. Basically, the end of the movie, right there. They're walking in the rain. He's been looking if, for someone to want to <laughs> walk in the yeah, rain with I mean, him all movie. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, I mean, the rain represents, you know, the blues, sorrow. I mean, he's, he's, you know, looking for someone to... But also cleansing. Yeah, cleansing. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, it it, it is cleansing, so he's looking for someone. He's kind of... I guess that, yeah, that could be symbolic of him just cleansing his life and starting over, starting fresh. Maybe he was waiting. He likes the rain so much in Paris because he wants, you know, without even knowing, that that, that kind of cleansing idea. Yeah. And he didn't know why. and Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Absolutely. 
But yeah, I think that's a gorgeous shot. And if it ever rains in Paris, if I'm ever there and it's <laughs> raining, I am walking in the rain in Paris. You can guarantee it. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, that is Midnight in Paris. A great Maybe, movie. Absolutely great. Well done, well cast, well acted. I, I really can't say much more. I can't say how much I like this movie any more than it is. Right. You know, if I'm going to put it in a list, I don't know. But it's it's up there somewhere. It's it's It tops my list somewhere, you know. It's, it's not just that it's a... I don't know. This is a personally pleasing movie. It's not just like watching a movie that I think is very technically good or that, you know, does this movie just moves me in ways and speaks to me in ways that m- many movies just don't. Right. This is just... I love it. I love yeah. it. And and I'm not going to lie. I mean, a lot of these characters, they, these historical characters that I they bring up, them. never heard of. But it's just, <laughs> I'm just fascinated by it all. I love it j- just because it's like a human story, but it's still yeah. like kind of a fantasy in a way. It's time travel. I don't know if, you know, this was all meant to just be a dream of his, if this was actually real in the actual movie universe, but whatever. It's, uh, yeah, such a fun, beautiful movie. Yeah, beautiful movie. Yeah, I mean, beautiful to look at, beautiful just themes. I love the, the little lines in there, the deep lines from Gertrude and Hemingway. Just uh, gives you just so much, you know. I really do so, wonder, so much... you know, I mean, God, I mean, <laughs> as, I, as I think about it even more, this is this has got to be in his top five. Yeah. Woody Allen's top no. five. Without question. I mean, without question. I know he makes a movie a year since, you know, 1974 or mm-hmm. something like that. But they're not all good. Uh, and the ones after this w- weren't that I, good. And what uh, disappoints me, I mean, this movie, I mean, basically all his movies now, nobody knows come out. It, n- nobody knows that they have come out unless <laughs> you're like an avid, like, moviegoer, an yeah. avid, like, follower like us. Like, yeah, these I, aren't advertised. They're not. Uh, I came across Cafe Society. Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, they're not, uh, they're not box office successes, but, uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he has enough followers now where he can just do whatever he wants. Yeah. And I, almost... I wish, but this movie in particular, I wish more people would recognize and actually watch. Cause I, I talked to a lot of people. Um, who are big into movies and you know they're like oh what's that movie I've, I've never seems you know. strange because yeah. it's not it, Owen Wilson is well known um, I don't, I don't right. know a, yeah. lot, a lot of things came together here in this movie with with Owen Wilson as a lead which I, I cannot say it's just a perfect casting absolutely this is yeah. a, Rachel McAdams make, was great she, yeah, was, she played a total bitch but uh, she did yeah, but she but, was great yes uh, Mar- uh, Marion Coltiard uh, uh, she's Anything she's in, she's outstanding. She's just, again, she com- a scene stealer. Yeah, she just took over the movie there, like I said, for like five minutes. She's talking about God knows what, but all yeah. you, you just can't help but just stare at her as she's talking. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Michael Sheen, uh, just, I don't know, this is almost... Corey Stoll as Hemingway. Yeah. Kathy Bates, I think, was great. Brilliant. This. And yep. like I said, even Adrian Brody just yeah. pops in just and random. does a thing for yep. you know one small scene. I thought it was brilliant. I don't. I don't want to run away too far, but this is one of Woody Allen's best. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, uh, again, I don't want to go too far, but this is an, an excellent movie. Absolutely, everyone should watch this movie. Yeah. This is like almost required watching for anyone. Yes, <laughs> this is definitely in my uh, top ten of yeah, uh, the. For sh- not in history, but I'd say in this century so far. 
Are you saying top ten overall? You think I may? I mean, cause yeah. just because I enjoy it so much. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun watch. It's an easy watch. Yeah. I I don't like, and you know, I I really don't like watching movies over and over and over again. I I don't own many movies. Um, I, I you know if I see one, I'm done with it most most of the time, unless I really like it. And I don't like watching them unless it's like a Star Wars or like a Raging Bull or a Godfather. You know, you know movies like that. Right. Um. This is a movie that I can watch over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I could probably see it another five or ten times and and love it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think I've seen this about four or five times now, and it's just absolutely wonderful. But that um, yeah, is just real, real life stuff in this movie. Yeah, it's it's not just that it's you know well acted and aesthetically pleasing, which it is. It's well shot, well acted, all that stuff. But there's even more. You know the stuff you could take away from it, right? Which I mean, can you ask for anything more from a movie or a piece of art or anything where you can find something that applies to you? Uh, so, yeah. especially in nineteen twenties Paris, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, great. I mean, we could go on and on about this, but yeah, I think this was a really great movie to to to, to discuss and analyze. So glad we did, and I'm glad you uh you you chose this for the next film. Uh, next week, um, I, we might do more of a um a dud. We might tear apart a movie. I'd like to do a bad yeah, movie. That'd be fun. Let's do a bad movie. Let's um, make fun of something. Let's make fun of something and just have have that is fun. Do you have any zone. thoughts so far yet, or we want to just? Uh, I mean, I know you had mentioned an Adam Sandler movie, maybe, or uh, I know the problem. Like, and I'll confess to the audience, you know, I. As much as as bad as they are, I just I find myself laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, '90s Sandler. Well, that's different. Yeah, that's different. But yeah, I mean, every everything since then, we will. I'll tweet out what we're gonna do. We're, we'll 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 figure it out. But yeah, it's it. We're gonna. You know, it's gonna be a. I mean, I'm having fun with these shows regardless. But it'll be. I've it'll be fun a, to pick apart a movie. I've never seen a Fast and Furious. Are those? Ooh. Are those qualifies? I'm assuming. Yeah, they're, those I'm might, assuming they're bad. Those might, but they're they uh, they embrace themselves on being bad. So it's like okay. they kind of it like works because they're trying to be ridiculous. So it, so do you want to see an accidental bad or just? I, I think an accidental bad would be fun. Okay, that makes it trickier. Yeah, but... we'll we'll figure it out, folks. We'll figure it out. <laughs> this is uh, post production stuff we usually <laughs> yeah. talk about, but uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's it. Yeah, Woody Allen. I'm a huge fan. Say what you will about his personal life. Separate the art from the uh, the artist. I always say. <laughs> I'm but, not too uh, worried. About it. Yes, I'm, not, I'm worried about it all. But yeah, that is Midnight in Paris. Let us know what you think uh, about Midnight in Paris on our Twitter at BlockbusterCast. We'd appreciate any feedback you have. Yeah, and, and I want to hear if anybody you know completely changed their life as a result of hearing this podcast. Yes. <laughs> their truth has not been realized, and it needs to stop being in denial or whatever. But. Absolutely, and uh, tweet us out any uh, suggestions you have for what you want us to analyze. Maybe I'll put out a poll. If we can't decide on a movie, I'll put out a poll and yeah, you, you guys can help us decide. That would be great. All right. That is our show. We really appreciate you folks listening in. You got any final thoughts, my friend? No, just great being on here. I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we love movies, we love life, and love relating both to each other. So happy to do it. Love it. Yep. Can't wait to have you on again next week. And we will let you know on Twitter what our next show is. So we really appreciate you tuning in once again. And that is our show. Uh, for Davo, I'm Ben Secord. 
And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. I'll catch you guys at the movies.